We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we got a couple more player interviews, a two-parter today. First, we up, we have Ole Miss great Gary Abide, played linebacker here from 1989 to 1993. We talked about playing in the Billy Brewer era, the return to prominence of the program in the post-Vaught era, being teammates with Chucky Mullins, some memorable games from that time, his life after football, and his current his thoughts on the current state of the Ole Miss football program. Then we talked about Eddie talked to Eddie Strong, Ole Miss great, one of the first athletes I remember at Ole Miss about his career, his transition to pro football, what he's been doing since, and his thoughts on the current state of the Ole Miss football program. So two Ole Miss great linebackers. It's a linebacker Friday, I guess. I didn't even think about that till just now. That's why I'm a genius. So anyway, buckle up. I think you'll enjoy both of these awesome interviews. Before we get to that, though, I wanted a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're a Skybox member, you went 11-4 and four on NFL picks over the weekend, plus 8.5 units. Some of you out there who didn't use Skybox probably hurting in the wallet, probably hurting in the old Venmo account, having to pay the man. You should sign up to Skybox Sports Picks today. Go online, find a picks package within your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try NFL. You can try college. You can try all the sports. I recommend going with a year-long all-access pass because you will make every year a profitable one with Skybox. You don't want to lose money this football season. Maybe we're a month and a half into this. Maybe you're already in a little bit of a hole. Use Skybox to help you pull out of it. They are the professionals. They're 
Picks are based on data and modeling, not leans five minutes before kickoff. They'll send you picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, we now welcome on Ole Miss great Gary Abide, brought to you by the Oxford Ortho Letterman's Lounge. How are you, man? I appreciate you joining us. You're en route to Oxford as we speak, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you for having me. That is correct. I'm on my way from northwest Arkansas to Oxford uh, as we speak. How often do you make it back for games? Not very often. Uh, probably once every two to three years. Um, I do am able to go to the bowl games. I've been to the past uh, three bowl games, but it's a little bit tougher to for me to get to Oxford with work schedule and, and family schedule. So I guess we'll start at the beginning of your career. You're from the Delta. How did you end up at Ole Miss? When did you kind of realize that major college football would first be on your radar? Well, I, I always grew up being a college football fan. Uh, grew up in Greenville, Mississippi, the Delta. Uh, just a typical middle-class upbringing. Had wonderful parents, wonderful family. Grew up watching college football on – uh, Saturday Saturdays, and just enjoyed playing football in elementary, junior high, and high school. Went to a small Catholic school called St. Joseph, and uh, had some wonderful teammates and a wonderful coach named uh, Butch Inman. Uh, coach Inman coached a uh, Johnny Cooks, who was an All-American at Mississippi State, but he was very forward-thinking with a uh, weight program and uh, just building a great environment for team and just really uh, work that way and just continue to work and eventually was a blessing to be offered a, a scholarship at Ole Miss. And so for you, when you get to Ole Miss, what was the adjustment period like? When did you kind of figure out, okay, I'm, I'm, I can do this. I can play at the SEC level, and I've kind of found my my groove as a linebacker. Uh, at Ole Miss, I was actually very fortunate. I was one of only two players to play my true freshman year. And I had always had worked very hard, uh, trained very hard, and physically – I was somewhat prepared. You're not really prepared to play in the SEC from high school for the most part. But being a special teams player, a backup player, third team player, I was uh, I was somewhat prepared physically. Mentally, I wasn't prepared at all. <laughs> it was a really a different ball game. Uh, like the first day I showed up at Ole Miss, we actually had to do a conditioning test and our my inside linebacker coach was also the defensive coordinator and he was known to be a really uh, militaristic, aggressive, very tough, tough coach. And the even on a recruiting visit, when they, they would other players would ask you what position do you play. I'd say linebacker. They'd say, "Oh, you got Coach Henry. He'll make you a better player, though." And um, yeah. so I was able to play that year. But it was still a learning adjustment throughout the whole year. I mean, it, it was it was it was pretty intense. 
I mean, you're, you're in the you're playing in a high school field in the, in the Delta, and then nine months later, you're asked to guard Emmett Smith in the fourth fourth quarter with the game on the line to play man to man defense on national TV down in the swamp. It it, it can be pretty nerve wracking. But they really push you hard in practice. They physically and really, really mentally challenge you in practice so you will be prepared to perform in the games. And that was back when, I mean, fall camp was a hell of a lot harder. Did y'all have two-a-days? Like, what was it like practicing in the summer in the hot sun? I mean, it's still hard today, don't get me wrong, but it, it was a little bit of a different ball game back then. Yeah, I've talked to some guys from the Orgeron era who had some pretty horror stories of how they practiced. What was it like for your first preseason camp at Ole Miss? It was hell. It was it was incredibly hard. The the freshmen reported. Well, first of all, all of the sweet talking that the coaches do to you during recruiting, all the you know, hey, how are you doing? Great to have you here. Once you're there as a freshman, you are the scum of the earth. You're the smallest little speck. And it's not just the coaches that treat you that way. It's everybody, the managers, the trainers. I mean, it was incredibly hard. The freshmen reported, and we have five days, and all the coaches that were nice during the recruiting were not nice anymore. Uh, And they pushed you relentlessly. It was incredibly hot. The playing inside linebacker, I I think there were five of us. And after like the second or third, after like the second or third day, there was only like three of us left. Either the other two left or the other two got repositioned. So they would have like three teams of, you know, first team, I guess, freshmen, second team freshmen, third team freshmen doing these passing scale drills. We had to run all over the field and, cover receivers and run back to the huddle and we had to we didn't have enough linebackers but they had to have two at least two linebackers so we all we were alternating plays and I vividly remembering how my the soles of my feet were just aching I mean literally aching your calves just burning and my roommate uh, Marvin Courtney who was a tailback who also went to the same high school I went he had this ointment antiseptic, antiseptic, and I remember what a relief it was putting that on my feet at night. But it was an incredibly hard, and it was relentless. It, <laughs> it was it was very tough. You came in at a time where Ole Miss was on the rise, and then really toward the – I mean, that was kind of the last, like, a heyday before the NCAA sanctions hit. Y'all kind of brought it back from really the end of the Vaught era. What was it like – playing at a time where you guys were winning eight, nine games regularly, you were doing things that had not been done since Johnny Vaught retired. I think that New Year's Day bowl game was the first one since Vaught's last one in like 70 or 71. What do you remember about that time and just what it was like playing in a winning, you know, winning program, winning culture? It was really incredible. Uh, We worked extremely hard. I credit our coaching, head coach, Coach Brewer. Coach Brewer was really into – he was a smart coach, but he really also was a great motivator. And in the sense of take one day at a time, let's just try to get better today. And it was a really exciting time. He would he would bring in different people to talk to the team and get us going. 
Uh, we had some outstanding players. Uh, we had some – we never really – the games we played in, it wasn't like we were blowing people out, but we were outlasting them. And these were good teams. We were, we were beating Auburn at Pat Dye. We were beating, all, you know, Pat Dye's Auburn, and we went to Athens, Georgia, and beat them. Uh, we beat LSU and Baton Rouge. We beat Emmett Smith and Florida at the Swamp. So, so the program, give our, uh, a lot of credit to the head coach, to the coordinators, uh, of course, my teammates. Uh, it was just an, an exciting, exciting time. I remember going to that Liberty Bowl, which was my freshman year in 1989, and our headquarters was at the Peabody. And what a magical experience that was and staying at the Peabody and seeing all the fans and this beautiful hotel with so much tradition. It, it was a great, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Was that the Liberty Bowl where it was like almost like dangerously cold? Do I have this memory correctly? Was it, do you remember anything about that? It was, uh, we actually played two Liberty Bowls. One, one of them I was able to play in. The, the second one, I was unfortunately hurt. But I remember that second one, which was in 1992, extremely cold. But uh, I do, they were always seem to be pretty cold. But, but that second one in 92 was really, really freezing. Yeah, I remember going there when Ole Miss played Memphis in 2019. I'd been there a couple of times to cover a couple of games. And like I've always joked that place is either the hottest place on earth or the coldest place. I don't think there's ever a single day in that stadium where it's just normal. Like that one in yeah. August in 19, it was like 98 degrees. They have a turf field. The sun just bakes in that stadium. So like they have the extremes down there. For you, as you're playing, you're winning the programs on the rise. You mentioned you're playing and beating good teams. There was an Alabama game somewhere in there where I can't remember the year. I forgot to write it down. So 93 Alabama game. I heard this story that you were uh, thrown out. Kind of take me through that. I know nationally televised game. What uh, what happened there? Very hard fought contest. Pretty much the two best teams uh, at that time fighting for the uh, division title. Uh, national game. Bob. Jacks, uh, can we start that? I apologize. Yeah, yeah you're I'm fine. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Keith Jackson, Bob Greasy calling the game. Very heated contest, very emotional contest, national TV. We had chances to win, and we didn't win. Alabama was pretty much running out the clock, and I was trying to uh, time the snap to get the ball, and I hit the center, and the ref said that was very unsportsmanlike, and most likely he was probably correct. And he, they went ahead and told me to leave the game. And I remember walking down to the sidelines and Coach Brewer just pointed straight to the locker room. <laughs> so I immediately went to the locker room and not proud of what happened. I did apologize to uh, the player in Alabama. And they did accept the apology. I remember Gene Stallings was saying that on the, his talk show uh, that week weekend. But I just lost my temper and got a penalty and hurt the team. That's never a good thing. But uh, two great. It was a great game. Two, a lot of talent on the field. A lot of great plays. A lot of great players. And we just got the short end of the stick. So, at least you were trying to make like a football play. Like if it wasn't the end of the game, do you think you would have gotten thrown out? Like that seems like a very mild thing to get tossed from a game for. Ah. Uh, that's a great question. 
I don't know. I, I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, I was a very competitive player, and every now and then my emotions would get the best of me. On, on defense, probably as opposed to offense, it's good to play with emotion on defense. But it, it can never come to the point where it causes a penalty for your, for your team. You can't do that. And it was pretty heated. I mean, the, the Alabama players showed a lot of restraint. It was getting pretty dicey there. I mean, it could have been a it could have been a lot worse than it was. So I credit their players, our, my teammates, our coaches, because it was. I mean, it was a very intense contest. We had the lead, and then they clawed back, and then we uh, almost was able to take the lead, but we couldn't. It was it was a very tough game. So, great question. I don't know if I can answer that. So, you played on some awesome games, some very memorable Egg Bowls. Clearly, the, I think the one that sticks out is probably the 92, the stand. What do you remember about the ending of that game that seemed like hours, but you guys just held firm for so many plays in a row? What was that like? That was pretty incredible. And I do have to say that year I was I had to take a medical red shirt, but I was on the sidelines and I was actually in street clothes, so I actually had a better view than the players uh, that were on the sidelines, other than the people in the game. That was really incredible. Uh, it was Coach Brewer and Jackie Sherrill uh, had really uh, the robbery was always intense in the Egg Bowl, but when Jackie Sherrill came, it really got taken up a a big notch and to coach Cheryl's credit and coach Brewer's credit, they started to play the games on campus as opposed to uh, Memorial Coliseum in Jackson. So it really was a super intense and exciting rivalry game. And both had that year of Ole Miss and Mississippi state had both excellent squads, really some great players. And what the Ole Miss defense under Joey Dunn was able to do pretty much stop Mississippi State, who had one of the best offenses in the league, 11 times inside the 10-yard line, and some plays even inside the 5-yard line. And to really win the game was really incredible. So they called that the stand, and it was in 1992. And, I mean, Ole Miss, our defense held them, and then we got a penalty, and they got – Another series, and they still had them, still held them. It was really incredible. Super exciting. Great you win played, for Coach Brewer. You played with some pretty awesome linebackers. What was it like play, being in the linebacker room with so much talent on the roster, particularly at that position? You know, you've played from the get-go, as you mentioned, one of the few players playing as a true freshman. So clearly you were among them, but y'all had a pretty – y'all had one hell of a group. What was it like playing alongside some of the guys you did? I had some wonderful teammates. The – I almost split my playing time between uh, my two defensive coordinators, Robert Henry and then Joe Lee Dunn. Uh, my, the first pair of awesome linebackers I played with was Sean Cobb, who was a three-year starter. He was pretty much my uh, mentor. He was a three-year starter for Ole Miss, All-SEC, leading tackler. And I was second team, but our coach uh, was very – generous in letting the, the second team guys play and get experience and not just experience toward the end of the game. He would put us in the, the fire of the game with the, and it was, it was a great learning experience and great uh, thrill to do that. 
Uh, uh, Pete Harris was also a starter who I played behind. He was a fantastic player from the Miami area. Could have played really for the Hurricanes, but uh, he ended up getting to Ole Miss and learned a lot from them. And then when Joe Lee came, I'd been a starter, and I played with some phenomenal talent, uh, Cassius Ware and Dwayne Dotson and Abdul Jackson. And we were rated the number three best position group in America behind the, I believe, the Miami uh, Hurricane wide receivers and then another group, group I can't remember. But of all the position groups, quarterback, defensive back, defensive lineman, our linebacking group was rated number three. And playing with Dwayne Dotson, Cassius Ware, and Abdul Jackson, they were just phenomenal. Uh, super great competitors, tremendous athletes, big plays. It was it was awesome. I mean, what you'd watch game, you'd watch film of the games or practice, and every day somebody would do something that would just be incredible. It was really humbling. I was really fortunate to be with them, and really proud to be with them. What was that 91 Gator Bowl like? As I mentioned earlier, first New Year's Day bowl game since the Vaught era. What was what do you remember about that day? And did y'all have a sense of just how significant that was in terms of the return of to a of a winning program really for the first time consistently? Like I said, since the late 60s, early 70s. Did y'all know the significance of that moment during like while the game was going on? Oh, uh, yes and no. We we were um really proud to Take do the New Year's Day Bowl, uh, but maybe they really should have been playing for the national title, and they they beat us pretty good. Uh, but I guess they were used to Rose Bowls, and they were they were you know to them this was probably a lower tier bowl. To us, we were just we were just super excited to be there, and uh, take nothing away from them. They were they were a ph phenomenal team, but. We probably, as a players, you know, players, we were probably a little more, uh, more relaxed as as players as as we probably should have been. But it was still a wonderful year and a wonderful experience, and wouldn't trade it for anything. Linebacker has changed a lot with the way football as a whole has evolved, but really offenses and kind of speed and going side to side. I'm curious when you played an inside linebacker, what was like your height and weight? What was your, what did you play at, and like how does that compare to today? Uh, the that's a great question. I was my about six one two thirty five, but the biggest difference now between players when I played and now today is the speed and agility, and the training methods. We were super strong, and and we were trained to take on linemen. And fullbacks that were 250 and 60 pounds because it was more of a downhill game. They were uh, more coming straight at you, eye formation. Uh, whereas today, they still have that, but it seems like it's more, more, it's a, more of a spread you out speed game, trying to tackle someone in open space and create mismatches. So I would say the players are not necessarily bigger uh, if you look at the weights not necessarily bigger and even in the nfl but they're definitely a step or two faster and i think the as the offensive has evolved in these fast spread offenses they need more 
defenses have had to counter with more speed, more athleticism. And I think that the training has crossed over into that. So that's the difference what I see in between linebacker play. Still, by linebackers, you have to – it's one of the toughest positions on defense. You have to take on players big, 300, 320 pounds, and they want you to take on them and, and stuff them, stuff that gap. But then on the next play, they you have to possibly cover a tailback or a third or fourth receiver and cover them man-to-man or cover them in the passing game. So it's a very challenging, very exciting <clears> – <throat> can be somewhat stressful position. You have to make defensive calls. You have to get the call in. You have to make adjustments. But it's 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 a lot of fun. It, it's a uh, I was I was very glad and very fortunate to play in that position. For you, who was the toughest running back you faced? I played against some tough, great running backs. <clears throat> we played against Emmett Smith in Florida. We beat him. Played against Garrison Hurst at Georgia. We split with him. Also, Rodney Hampton at Georgia. We beat him. Probably, the, but I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, the best tailback that I saw was Chuck Webb out of Tennessee. Okay. He was fantastic. He ran for a record, a freshman record in 1989 against us, and he played in the NFL. He was just his quickness, his vision. I thought if I had to pick a tailback that I played against, who was the best, he would he would have been, he would have been number one. We'll get back to Gary in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 evaluation you're getting there for $20. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, tell him you know about the Rippy Wrights newsletter. He'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the fillet burgers. All kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Gary. Whether it's a tail, I know I kind of asked you the uh, running back part of it, whether it's a fullback, lineman, tailback, whatever, was there a guy that sticks out throughout your career that you played once or multiple times where it was kind of like, Jesus, I really don't want this guy coming downhill at me for the next three hours. Does anyone stick out? Yes, the the Michigan fullback Gerard Bunch was 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 a, was a tough player. 
when we played them, I was second team. And during the bowl game week, you have all these activities and like dinners and banquets. But uh, the senior captains were the ones who would go and participate in uh, just a senior captain banquet. And I vividly remember our center, Dawson Pruitt, coming to me after one of those banquets during the week and said, hey, Abide, you know that fullback for Michigan? I said, yeah, Bunch, what about him? He goes, you better hit him in the knees. When he stood up, he looked like a defense. I thought he was the nose guard out of the black. And he, but no, they said he was the fullback. And he was a phenomenal player. He was great. So remember, I was the second team guy. And Michigan was uh, had Gary Moeller. Gary Moeller took over after Bo Schembechler. So they were still running the same style offense, downhill, all formation. Fullback's going to either the fullback's going to come get you or the offensive lineman's going to come get you. And the linebacker in front of me, after about two and a half quarters, the, the guy, the linebacker, <laughs> I think it had enough. He was a great player, but the game had pretty much gotten out of hand. And now they were just doing isolation plays and trying to take time off the clock. So I had to go in there. At a 220-pound linebacker, take on this 255 senior All-American fullback, who went the first round and uh, first round by the Giants in the draft, and just uh, tremendous isolation plays, and I, I I kept hitting them, but it didn't do any good. And I vividly remember after that game, it was an early game, and other players were called the room. We planted him in the ground, but he was a super tough competitor. But he really, uh, we we physically really bashed him that night. So, I believe this was your freshman year, but just what was it like being teammates with Chucky Mullins? What do you remember about that day and everything after? Nice guy, tough. He was the, a lot of times you have four, at the time it was pretty much four defensive backs, two safeties in the corner, and then, Whenever they'd call a nickel package, you'd have a lineman go out and another defensive back coming in. So Chucky was kind of the main nickel back, a pass defense specialist. And the week or two before that, we played Georgia and beat them. Uh, Chucky did a game-saving pass deflection that was going to be a touchdown. But that was a very solemn day. Uh, he made a, a fantastic play against the Vanderbilt player but just pretty much shattered his spinal canal. And, of course, on the, I wasn't on the field, but I played in that game, and I was on the sidelines. And you're always looking. We're pretty much like a person watching a game on TV. You're looking for a foot to, to move. You're looking for a hand to move whenever you see a play like that. But you know, we didn't see that with Chuck at all. And, of course, the trainer ran out there, and it was taking longer than normal. We couldn't see what was going on, but we could certainly see something was much. And Coach Burr announced it was pretty bad, but he didn't know to the extent what was the injury. And then, of course, he took over after the game. Coach Burr did announce to the team what had happened. 
and it was just complete shock and just complete, uh, just deathly quiet. No celebration, no anything. And then uh, had a team meeting the next day, and they gave us more updates. And it was a very difficult time. It was a really difficult for 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 Ole Miss football team. You mentioned kind of you know being like someone on TV and trying to look for you know something moving like that and like at what at what point throughout that process whether it was maybe bringing the stretcher or ambulance whatever when did you kind of realize okay this is different this is different than a typical even just like a bad injury when did you know this was something different? Well, they didn't tell us anything when it happened per se, and even when he left. But I guess when they brought the ambulance out and the stretcher, that uh, whenever that happens, that's always a serious serious deal and. You're asking other teammates who maybe maybe saw from another angle. Did you see him move? Did he did he wave his hand? Did he wave his foot? Did the trainer Leroy say anything? Did you hear coach say anything? No, you're really you're really just in the dark. And of course, you still have a game to play. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a very eerie feeling. Um. It's just one you don't really ever want to feel again. But it was it was terrible. It's terrible seeing a young man uh, have that happen to him, or in any person for that matter. It was it was really hard. It was really 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 hard. What uh, what was the loudest place you played in? The uh, wonderful stadiums. I think the LSU was loud, but I think the uh, Tennessee was. Incredibly loud, especially with their band right behind you. You could yell at the person right next to you. What time do you think we're getting home tonight? They couldn't hear you. <laughs> but I think the I think the loudest would have been is when you woke that a visiting team up. You know, when you jump on a visiting team and get a good lead on them, and uh, they're really quiet. So we jumped out on Auburn and really were beating them pretty good. In the first half, this would have been 1991, and then all of a sudden, it was like seven to three, if I recall. We were beating them, and it was close to the halftime. We pretty much had taken the crowd out of the game, and they ran a 60-yard touchdown run. Just had some busted plays, and actually, the first team group wasn't in there it was the second team the second team was holding their own just that just so happened they broke a long gainer sometimes big plays happen and I remember running out on that field and by and to do the extra point or at least Auburn was going to do the extra point and we were going to defend it and that it was super loud it was almost like that field is vibrating they had been so quiet and had such pent-up demand and we really had them down, and now they had awoke. We had, you know, that touchdown run, they had awakened. So all the stadiums were, were fantastic. Uh, Ole Miss, that Alabama Ole Miss game was, was incredible. People still talk about the crowd of that game, especially people who actually had been to that game. That was probably the loudest that I had ever been. But that Auburn game, that comes specifically to mind. I, uh, I've always said Jordan Hare is one of the underrated loudest ones. Like everyone talks about Alabama, Death Valley, whatever. But I remember being on the sidelines toward the end of the game in 2019 where 
think it was Ole Miss. They had Plumley out there, and it was like a drive to go down and tie the game. And when that place got loud on a third down, I was like, okay, this doesn't really get enough credit. This place, you can't hear yourself think. You certainly can't talk to the person next to you. That's always been an underrated one for me. What a life after football. You finish up at Ole Miss. Did you toy with the idea of playing professional football at all? What was the transition out of football like? Uh, the transition for football for players actually pretty tough. The um, especially emotional. The if I could go back and do different training, I would have worked on my speed. So I was one of those guys that was a very good college football player, but for the next level, it's really about speed, and I was really a step or two slow. And uh, I was strong as a uh, strong as a bull, and one of the strongest guys on the team. But in the NFL, you need to be be able to cover. You need to be able to get to that gap. And I just didn't quite have the speed that was required. Uh, went back home to Greenville. My father had a family uh, uh, retail store and uh, ran that for 10 years. Uh, married it to a wonderful person, a, a wonderful Delta girl from Cleveland, Mississippi, and her and her wonderful family. And got married and just had a really nice, uh, pretty much a normal lifestyle work and go to church and uh, had a, a daughter and raised a family. But I will say it was tough, after, it was tough especially in those early years, going back to, uh, to Ole Miss now as a fan somewhat, not part, not as a player. Then when Sunday comes around, you're all going back to your separate ways. That drive back, it, it can really it, – it, it takes a while. It, it takes a year or two to kind of get that out of your system. You realize the relationships you forged and and how much fun you had and how close you became. Because we had, we had athletic – we lived together. We had athletic dorms when I was there. So the cafeteria was there. Uh, the tutoring sessions were there. So pretty much if you weren't – your teammate, you either saw them at the athletic dorm or you saw them at the field house. So you're pretty much were with them year round. And did uh, I heard something about did, did Billy Brewer live in the dorm at one point? He did. He, um, there was a wing where the strength coach lived in his family, but Coach Brewer was building a house building a really nice house, and around, I think it was 1992-91, he actually moved into the dorm while his house was being built. Um, and he pretty much stayed on his side of the wing. You really, didn't, you really didn't know that he was there. It wasn't like he was walking around uh, checking every, you know, your room or anything. But I will say uh, it was one of those weekends. So in the off season, a lot of times on the weekends, players go home. And if players are from out of state, a lot of times they'll go home with their buddy from Mississippi or from Tennessee or from Alabama. But it just so happens my roommate and I happened to stay. Uh, and it might have been at the end of the, toward the end of the year. We might have had a couple exams late. I can't remember. But it was one where, 
wasn't really hardly anyone in the dorm. You almost felt like it was vacant. I mean, the cafeteria was closed. You didn't hear anybody. And we liked to listen to Led Zeppelin and turn up really loud and play our, I think it was a baseball game on the Techno Bowl or Nintendo. Okay. And, and it was, I think, I can't remember if it was a Saturday morning. I can't recall. It was, a, it was just one of those mornings and days where no one was hardly there. And all of a sudden, Coach Brewer came in that dorm and told us to cut that, cut that stuff down. And we, we hopped up and cut it down. And uh, kind of really shocked us because uh, we didn't know he was even, even in the dorm. Anyone was in the dorm. But after that, we, were, we made sure to keep our doors locked. We even, I think we had the door open and unlocked. And, and but after that, that was, uh, but it was really fun. It was, uh, it was, it was kind of a neat experience. Oh, Miss fans, unfortunately, are well versed in NCA investigations and the looming cloud that that can have. I know at the very end, you're there for Coach Brewers last year. And then everything that unfolds after that. Did y'all have any hint of what was coming during that last season? Were y'all aware of it at all? Or did that kind of surprise y'all at the end of the year? Yes. I, yeah, somewhat. The So there was, uh, there was a, um, I remember one of the teammates had said he had been interviewed by the NCAA investigator. And that the investigator um, and I, there was a rule where you couldn't take a recruit, I guess, outside the city limits or a certain range of campus. And they had taken him to Memphis. And Memphis was a great party town, great atmosphere. And who knows if a recruit came from a big city, you might be inclined to take them to Memphis. But I remember specifically that the, the teammate said, hey, this NCAA investigator had, had pretty much all the answers to all the questions already. They knew where we took them. They knew, I guess, what we if we bought them any kind of drinks or food, they knew what we did for them. And they knew what time we got there, what time we left. So it was almost like some kind of, like some FBI lockstep surveillance program <laughs> but um yeah we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. You know, does it, did it, did it happen everywhere? Yeah, do I think only just got a, a, a raw deal on that? Sure, I do. Were other schools doing that? The same stuff we were doing? Yeah, I'm sure they were. Does it make an excuse? No, but just be fair. You know, you have to be fair. Uh, these are college, these are, you know, young men's livelihoods we're talking about and memories. But yeah, to your point, but that's when the first time I knew it was pretty serious, especially when he was telling me the investigator really had all the answers to the questions that he already was asking him. So you knew something was going to be, was going to be coming down. <laughs> you knew something was going to be coming. Did Coach Brewer have any hint that that might be his last year when that 93 season finished up? Like, did you, did anyone have a hint that this could be the end? Oh, not at all. No, not at all. Um, if you think about it, Coach Brewer, my freshman year, we went eight and four. My sophomore year, we went nine and three. My junior year, went five and six. Could have easily gone seven and seven and four. Maybe eight and three with luck. With luck, we lost two games by less than three points. Then we went another uh, nine and three, and then five and six again. If you think about it, in that era, with Ole Miss being handicapped with a forty-five seat stadium, and the weight room was in the dormitory, we didn't. I mean, all facilities were. I mean, the weight room was in the dormitory. The facilities were were. We're not very good. Coach Brewer really, with a little bit of luck, could have pulled off five straight winning seasons. Uh, and that shows you a testament of his coaching and his uh, motivation, perseverance. Now, I, I don't I, now I can't say that what happened with the whole story. Um, what happened there, it was a sad, very sad deal. Uh, you're talking about a coach that started the Grove Walk. We wouldn't have the walk in the the walk in the Grove that had been for Coach Brewer. He's the one who invented that. Um, he played there, loved Ole Miss. You talking about coaches nowadays flirting with other schools, leaving schools. I, I get it. I, I get it. They have to provide for their families. I get it. But Coach Brewer would never have left Ole Miss. He was red and blue all the way through. And loved the school, loved, loved the university, loved its players. Just, just a really bad, sad deal about the way it ended. But, I mean, I guess someone said in the South, heroes never get a chance to ride off in the sunset. So, he had great, ten great years there. Uh, wonderful legacy, legacy that still lives today through his players. So that walk in the grove that these players enjoy, the fans enjoy. So I, I think in the final analysis, he would say he came out a winner on that. Absolutely. I heard you were uh, Arch, uh, excuse me, uh, Cooper Manning's host on his official visit. What was that like? Uh, I was. Um, we get asked to uh, take prospective recruits 
to host them. They come in on a Friday, so you plan activities for them Friday, Saturday, and maybe even Sunday morning before they leave. Um, had somewhat of a Delta connection. Didn't really know Cooper or the family, but Archie was from Drew, Mississippi, which is in the Delta. And me being from the Delta, had met uh, Archie before. I, I can't say I knew him. He probably wouldn't know me, but he knew the high school uh, and was very familiar with my hometown. Uh, Cooper was a wonderful guy, really fun, very, very a wonderful athlete, very athletic. Uh, very outgoing, uh, really loved Ole Miss. Uh, we, we played basketball that Saturday at Turner Center to pick up game, and he just just gave the ball to Cooper, and he was just making all the shots. He really just took over that game. And really, really had a, we had a really wonderful time, had, had a really fun time. Uh, and... Uh, and I don't think there was any doubt that we that he was coming to Ole Miss, but still, you still treat him, you know, you still, uh, you know, sell him on the university and the life of it and what it means to be an Ole Miss player. Uh, a second little tidbit with that was when his brother Peyton came. Okay. Now, Peyton, wonderful guy, nice guy, but you could, I could tell a difference between the two. Cooper, um, Easy, outgoing, fun, very sociable. Peyton, to me, he was all business. It's almost like Peyton was recruiting us as opposed to us re recruiting him. And, uh, of course, unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to uh, – he ended up going to Tennessee. But he was a super nice guy. I wish we could have got him. Uh, but he was definitely – you could tell he was really – you know, all business, and uh, when he when he came to his recruiting visit. Last thing I have for you, just what's kind of your thoughts on the current state of the program coming off a massive win last week? Seems like Ole Miss is kind of back and relevant again. Just from you know being an alum, a fan, what are your kind of thoughts on the current state of the football program? Well, I think Lane Kiffin has done an outstanding job. I think uh, that foundation of Ole Miss started with Coach Brewer. And, of course, we had some bumps along the way, but uh, with, uh, with um, you know, Coach Orgeron recruiting well, then Houston Nutt taking over, then Hugh Freeze elevating the program and really showing what the program's capable of. I give him a lot of credit. I give Matt Luke a lot of credit. That was a tough thing for uh, to take over, really tough position. And Matt, very similar like Coach Brewer, loved the school. A former player, I think he took over a very difficult situation and was able to at least hold the line. Uh, certainly had some ups and downs, but was able to hold the line and make that job still attractive for someone like a Lane Kiffin to come. I think Lane's done a wonderful job. Uh, uh, now, Arkansas, I live up there, so I'm hearing what's going on. They're retooling their offensive line. Uh, their head coach is an offensive line coach. Supposedly, he's out there coaching now. Uh, they've always played us tough. It's always been a very hard-fought game. So, uh, I'm excited about the win at LSU. It was an incredible win. Best win, I think, in the Lane Kiffin area. We need to build on that. We need to keep that momentum going. We don't, let the, we don't need to let these Razorbacks sneak in and, and take away that and beat us in Oxford.
So it's I'm expecting a very, very competitive, very tough game. Ole Miss great Gary Abod. I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this and uh, have a safe trip to Oxford. Thank you for having me. All right. I appreciate Gary's time. Awesome to catch up and learn about an era of football that, of course, I don't really remember, but I've heard and read a lot about. Really appreciate his time. He will be in Oxford for the game this weekend. So thank him for joining. And I uh, hope he and his family enjoy the game. Next up, we got Eddie Strong. We talked about his career, an injury that changed the trajectory of his professional career, his time playing at Ole Miss in what was a great time, going up against great quarterbacks and what he's been doing since life after football another awesome interview i think you'll enjoy it before we get to that though i want to take a quick break to remind you this podcast is now brought to you by mc speech therapy has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder mc speech therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, here's Eddie Strong. All right, we now welcome on Ole Miss legend Eddie Strong um, as part of the Oxford um, ortho letterman's lounge athlete of the week uh, for the fourth consecutive week someone right in my childhood sweet spot at uh, 01 to 04 was really kind of the first Ole Miss teams I remember maybe even back to 2000 and you were one of the first athletes I remember so this is definitely special for me man how you doing I appreciate you joining no problem how you doing everything's good with you yeah everything's good it's 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 all good over here enjoying football season and I guess we'll start there and we'll kind of just go down memory lane a bit for you being so close to Ole Miss. How did you end up at Ole Miss? Was it always Ole Miss all the way? What was kind of your recruitment like? Um, it, was, it was Ole Miss all the way. Um, I was the one that uh, my mom, she was, she came to all my games and she had got sick and I always wanted her to continue to come to my game. So I didn't want to go far out and I didn't, I know I wanted to play in the SEC. So Ole Miss was right up the road, 15 minutes away. And I was able to go there and play that Ole Miss, and she was able to come and catch every home game. And so that's that's one of the reasons I went, I went over there. Who was your primary recruiter at the time? Were you a part of the staff change to Cutcliffe? That's always a fuzzy time for me. What was that like? And uh, who recruited you primarily when you got to Ole Miss, or on your path to Ole Miss, I should say? Um, Coach Tuberville and who's not. Um, okay. They, they, they who came down – to my mama house and sit and talk to me. And, and when I got there, of course, you know, Tuberville the next year went to Auburn and in come David Cutcliffe from Tennessee. So, and we, uh, I met him, I think on my second year at Ole Miss in 1999. Okay. Well, he, and, well, he came in 1998 and finished that bowl out. Cause you know, coach Tuberville had left before we played uh, Texas tech in the uh, independence bowl. And Coach Cutcliffe came. That was, our, that was our first time, you know, getting to meet him. And he put something together. Uh, we won the Texas Tech uh, Independence Bowl with him. 
I remember that. I was actually talking to Matt Luke about that a few years back for a story, and that's kind of unprecedented now. What was that like in the moment where it's like, wait a minute, this new guy's going to coach the bowl game, be here for the bowl practices? I know back then it wasn't as like far fetched, but like, what did you think of the idea at the time, and how crazy was it like learning an entire new coach's not even like scheme and stuff, but just program and culture before you play the final game of a season? Well, lucky for me that I played defense, so. The defensive coordinator, he was still there, Art Kaufman. Right. So it wasn't much change for the defense because we we pretty much knew what we was doing. But it was just – but I was so young. You know, I was a freshman, and I didn't know how everything was going. You know, I, I hated to see uh, Coach Tuberville leave because, you know, he told us that he wasn't going to go anywhere. And the next morning we got back, it was just empty. You know, I'm like – you know, but it really didn't bother me too much, but I'm pretty sure uh, on some of the guys – who in, in the offensive positions or things like that, or coaches that left with him, probably affect them as much, but not as, not as much as me because Art Kaufman was my defensive coordinator. He was still there. So when you're going up against the offense in practice, one of the things I remember about that doing that story on Luke, and it was when he was taking over as the head coach at Ole Miss, it was basically kind of a coach on the field for the offense. I was talking to John Latina about it as well, and he was coming in, and he was mentioned like even that some of the offensive guys like would do the classic like have your last name taped across your helmet so the offensive guys could figure out like the coaches could figure out who the guys' names were. What was it like being on the other side of that when there was so much new on the other side? Uh, it, it, it was crazy, but I, I definitely remember that we had to tape our name on our <laughs> on, on top of our helmets so they can know you know who we were, you know, or Eddie Strong or Deuce McAllis or Terry Metcalf or, or Merrill Miller. They they had to. You know, it, it was crazy, but when you out there practicing, you know, it's we did that. We just put the names on, but practice is practice. We had to go edit, you know. Tuberville, that ended up being one of, I would say, a couple semi-famous, infamous exits where he kind of just exits in the dark of the night. You could call it an Irish goodbye. I don't know if that's a perfect analogy. You mentioned <laughs> it didn't bother you that much. But obviously, from a fan's perspective, like a press conference outsider's perspective, it's the famous Pine Box comment. Did you guys get any – I've never talked to a player from that era about this. Did you guys get any sort of heads up that he was going to Auburn? How did you find out? What was that like from being inside the program at that point? No, we didn't get no heads up. We had a meeting uh, that week, and Tuberville told us that it had been rumors that he was going to Auburn and that we had nothing to worry about. He wasn't going to leave. He was going to be there. And so that's how we took it. It went until we came back – Again, on that, I think I, I don't know, I think it was that week of Texas Tech. We got we got into the meeting that Monday morning, normally business as usual, and were no coaches there. Were no coaches there, but like I said, Art Kaufman, the defensive coordinator, and he called the meeting and he told us, you know, what 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 took place. That you know, told film that accepted the job in Auburn. I was like, oh well, you know. And back then, it's different, right? Because players now would find out on their phones. You would see it all across social media, seeing some of it at least played out in real time. That's crazy to me that you guys just showed up at the facility, kind of starting to get get about your day, whatever you're going to prepare for. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, nobody's here. You mentioned it didn't bother you that bad. But collectively, as a team, for him not to address it or even really give you any inkling at all, and in fact, tell you the opposite all week, was that difficult for y'all collectively to reconcile at all? What was that? Well, I say, I, say, I say it didn't bother me that bad because uh, Coach Kaufman was, you know, my go-to guy. He was the defense coordinator. He was like a father to me. And that's who I was getting all my information from. That's who we te- 
to me the place, teaching me how to be a linebacker, things like that. So the fact that he was here, now it didn't bother me and some linebackers or, or maybe some or some defensive guys now. On the other hand, like Charles Stackhouse and and other guys on the offensive side, you know, it's really about them. You know, I know I know for 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 uh for sure that it hurt Charles Stackhouse because you know he was he was he was close to me because we came in together. It bothered him a lot, but um, it, it that that affected some guys. But more um, um, like on defensive side, you know, we still had our defensive guy, so we was like, you know, we hate that it happened. But you know we got to get ready for Texas Tech. You know we got to get ready for Texas Tech. You know, and then That's, we saw. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. I said then we just know then we had to get prepared for because we faced them. I think that following next year against we played Auburn, a tub of bill. We faced them that year in Auburn. I think we we won that game. Yeah, and at the time, I like, imagine heading into that next year, the first year under Cutcliffe, those bowl practices actually probably had to help you guys a lot. You're at least familiar with each other entering spring ball. You had a little bit of a head start there. For you at Ole Miss, how long did it take you to find your footing? I remember, if, if I remember correctly, you're kind of coming in your own, and then you maybe missed a chunk of time with a broken foot. What was kind of your path to arriving as a one of the best SEC linebackers in the conference in the country at that time? Well, I, I well, I came in as a number one recruit to Ole yeah. Miss and Oxford. And um, uh, my freshman year, you know, I had a great freshman year. Uh, my sophomore year, I, I that's when I really took off. And then 2000 is when I got hurt. Right. That's when I missed the entire season. And then and when I came back from 2001, everything was up and down. You know, I, I, I could never be that – I could never give that same linebacker that I was Oh, uh, from 99, 98, 99 linebacker because, you know, it's, it's just something about the injury I just couldn't get over. I just couldn't get over the hump. And it's something that stayed with me, still with me to this day. But um, uh, I just I just played football, man. I just did what I was supposed to do and, and, and ended up being one of the greatest linebackers in the SEC. Ole Miss as a kid coming in right now, Centurion Perkins, much like you, as high profile as a recruit that you were, you get on the field and you play immediately – and it's been a, I would say, a storyline between at least our like our message board subscribers and the fan base as a whole of like, okay, how much can they give this kid? He's clearly a special, different athlete. How much responsibility can they give him at such a young age? It's hard to play linebacker as a true freshman in the SEC and grasping everything. What is that like? How difficult is it actually to play linebacker in your freshman and sophomore year in the SEC and basically be a plug and play guy coming out of high school? Because that's a whole different jump in competition. Oh man, I'm gonna tell you something. Um, they gonna make sure he's ready. If he's ready, I guarantee you, though, coach is gonna have him ready. I guarantee you that. I mean, it don't have to be uh, a whole bunch of stuff they can shoot at him. They they can make it simple for him. You know, he already played linebacker before, so ain't nothing hard about it. You know, take keep your eyes on the football. You know, keep your eyes on the football and go where the football go. And I'm I'm pretty sure they're not gonna make it hard where he don't understand or he don't comprehend, but. If he ready to play, I guarantee you, though, coaches are going to have him on that field playing. Yes, and they need him out there. I mean, he's he he does some special things. I mean, there was a play against Georgia Tech last week where he just kind of ruined a right tackle's day and then stuffed the running back about two and a half yards in the backfield. It's like not mm -hmm. a ton of guys can do that. And you were a guy that they got on the field early, too. Did they do that for you? Were they, look, we know – there's some other things we'd like him to do eventually in his career, whether it's responsibilities, whatever it comes to playing SEC linebacker. Did they make it easy for you? We're like, you're a great athlete. We need you on the field early on in those first year, year and a half. Just, just go play and we'll figure the rest out later. Well, um, I, I just did whatever everybody else did. You know, I yeah. had to earn it. It wasn't no, even though I was great coming out of high school, I had to go and earn 
that position. I had to go earn, earn that starting spot. And I think it was, you know, I was at, at the beginning, I was going in and out with Al Rice. And I think before the season was over with, I was the starting linebacker. You know, it was just getting in and doing your responsibility and making plays, you know, and just making plays. And and, and once they and once the coach realized that you was a player or they got something right there, oh, they're going to plug you in. They're going to they're keep plugging you in. And you're going to get it. You're definitely going to get it. When did you realize that you were kind of acclimated and accustomed to that level? Was there adjusting period at all, or did you know pretty much immediately, hey, I can do this and I will be a pretty damn good SEC linebacker? I knew that my freshman year. I knew that my freshman year. Um, we got out, we played against, I think my first game was against Memphis. And um, it's it, 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 the beginning is just get over that. Uh, the crowd is going to be totally different from high school. Yeah. You know, you're playing, you know, you're playing in front of a whole lot more than you did in high school. And that's the thing. You're going to have to get over that first. And I remember before every game, I know it was crazy, but I would get dirty. You know, I would get down on the ground, I'd fall on the ground, jump on the ground, roll around. Because once I be on the ground, I'm ready to play some football. And 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 you know you're a great athlete. I can compete with anybody out there on that field. That that then then you know, competition, you know, I came from South Nola High School. Um, and that's one thing I'm not afraid of. I don't care who on the other side. You know, you're gonna have to, I'm I'm gonna bring it, so therefore you're gonna have to bring it. So that was my attitude. When you broke your foot in 2000, you mentioned 2001 being a tough year for you just because it was up and down. You didn't feel like you could be the same again. And then, of course, you have a tremendous 2002 season to cap things off. Was there ever a moment during that 01 year where you're like, hey, man, I don't know if I'll ever be the same again? Because I feel like with athletes, that's something that we as outsiders don't really understand. Like you get hurt and you miss a season and that you're just out of the spotlight and people assume you come back next year, but people don't really understand the day-to-day process and how tedious and honestly just really mundane rehabbing can be where you're just doing the same thing. And it almost seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Then you get back on the field and you don't feel like yourself quite again. Did you ever have any doubts that you would kind of return to the level that you ultimately returned to? Uh, Even the level that you said I returned to, I don't think I was that guy. You know, really? I don't think I was that guy. Not like I was because though even after that injury, I was still playing with pain. The outside, they, they don't know that. They don't know that. We had something called the – they gave us a cortisone shot. Oh, you yeah. know, And that was, you know, it don't get rid of the pain. It just make you think that it's not there. So basically you, 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 you're making it worse by constantly playing on it and not getting the fix. And, and I remember um, – what they didn't see before the game, I was taking a shot. Then it got to the point was I was taking a shot before the game, halftime. Then it was before the game, halftime, after the game, two times halftime. So, because it was getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And um, uh, so, um, I, I, I don't, I ain't never, I never got back to that. Even though the, the crowd saw me still out there making plays, but I wasn't comfortable. You get you know what I'm saying? Like me as yeah. a player, I wasn't comfortable. Because when you saw me running around 2001, 2002, I was hurt, you know. I, I, I played through that, you know. If I if I cut a quarter zone shot, it's going to last for a little bit, but then it's going to wear off. So I was hurting running around making those plays, you know. But, you know, of course, the crowd, they're they not going to know that. They just want to see you sack and make a tackle and things like that. And a lot of times they don't know really what's going on. But when a player get hurt, it takes a lot you know, to get back through that, that process. Sometimes they're still playing with pain. Sometimes they come back too early and it just, you know, sometimes they can get hurt and everything get wrapped up and they fine. No pain, they back the same. But 
some players, you know, I had that stress fracture, man. It's, it kind of, it, it wore on me. <laughs> it wore on me. Yeah, and it's well said. Like, you mentioned, like, the quarter zone shot. That didn't really take any pain away. It just makes you feel like it's not there. I imagine in some ways you're like, my foot's numb. I just feel like I'm kind of floating on one one wheel here. I imagine that next day when all that comes down, like, what does your foot feel like the day after a game when there's no more of that? I know you're getting treatment, but I imagine that has to be pretty painful. Well, that, that foot pain is something that lays up to my back. I don't know if it was a nerve or something like that, but, but after a game – I literally had to basically lay down in the bed all day. All night. I couldn't. I, I can barely walk. It felt like someone would take a screwdriver and stick it in your back and your and just twist it because it was just that much pain. And so that's how I needed the cortisone shot. You know, if I'm gonna play, they need me out there. You know, I'm going. I'm about to hit that shot. Other than that, I'm no good. I'm no good. That 2001 season was very interesting. I remember vividly the seven overtime game against Arkansas, but me being seven years old at the time, what I actually don't remember is that you guys were a one-loss team entering the month of November and pretty much had everything there in front of you. And I know y'all kind of hit the skids after that. What is it like? I mean, you just described everything you were going through from an injury standpoint. What's it like playing seven overtimes worth of football and trying to recover from that? You know, that was a very exciting game. It was a fun game. You know, even though we came out, we didn't we didn't win that one, but it was a fun game. It was a long game, but it was competitive. You know, it was competitive, and we knew it was because at that time, I think uh, the coach, the defensive coordinator we had at that time, I think that was Coach Don Lindsay, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Don Lindsay, and I think he had worked with uh, the, the coach, the defensive coordinator over at uh, – Arkansas so they they both knew each other's schemes you know so it, it, it was um we knew it was gonna be a tough fight and they had a hell of a quarterback uh at, at, at quarterback uh I, I can't forget his name I know his last name is Jones it's Matt Jones it isn't Matt, it Matt Jones yeah. but when I tell you a quarterback that can boot and the man was the fastest guy on the field he was really that fast he was really fast and we tried our best to contain him, but you let him loose, he gone. But yet we still we get we 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 played a great game and we were going back and forth and, and a lot of times that we could have ended that. A lot of times, you know, a couple of missed tackles or a missed assignment. I remember one call, Coach Dunley's that had called, which gonna bring our safety off the end. So if Matt Jones had booted it, he was gonna hit Matt Jones dead in the mouth. So it's fourth down. We called the defensive play. Mac Jones boot, but the safety didn't, didn't take do his responsibility. He hit his tight end in the back of the end zone, going another overtime. We, we could have ended the ball game right there. So, uh, but then, then Eli, he threw the pass to uh, Doug Ziggler, and Doug Ziggler it, it was right in front of the end zone. He wasn't in the end zone, so that's that's how we ended up losing the ball. Guys, ah, you know, the, I think that was the third or that was a seven overtime right there, right? Yeah. Which was a record at the time. It was a historic day for you know, a number of different reasons. One of the things I've looked at this 01 season quite a lot. Obviously, I remember living it. One of the things I actually don't remember from it is you guys played Mississippi State on presumably Thanksgiving night on November 22nd, but you played Vanderbilt the next week. Was there a reason for that? Is that just how the schedule worked out? I've never actually noticed this the amount of times uh, I've looked we, back we, at this season. Well, that year, that was doing September the 11th. That's right. Okay. Yeah, September 11th. That's when all the planes hit up there at trade centers. And they shut down everything. And so we supposed to play Vanderbilt that week. 
So they canceled that game. And so they, they put them the last game on the schedule. That's how we end up playing Vanderbilt behind Mississippi State. Okay, now it's coming back to me. That makes sense. I'd forgotten about all of that in the season getting delayed a bit, you know, which we had a recent refresher with that with the whole COVID thing. That turned the whole the entire season just yeah. totally out of whack. Probably <laughs> from my perspective, and again, I'm young at the time, but the most famous game I remember from your you is 02 Florida. I mean, I think there was a point where the entire stadium was chanting your name. What was that day like for you? You beat Rex Grossman. Uh there was a field storming. I actually remember being down there. What how special was that day? What was that like for you? Well, that that was special because that was my first. That was my. I was coming back. That was my. I don't know what my first game back. Uh, who was it? But that was two thousand and two. Yeah, oh two. I believe yeah, that was your first game back. I read that while I was reading was up on this, and back. I think that was your first game back from injury. That was my first game back of injury because beginning of the season, I twisted my foot against Texas Tech out there playing on that turf, and I twisted my ankle, and I missed like three or four games. When I came back, it was against Florida Gators. And uh, oh man, I was so pumped up. Yeah, they were chanting my names, and and and, ooh, I tell you, that game right there, I, it, it was just so amazing because I thought Florida was gonna, I, you know, I thought they were so fast, but to me they were so slow. They were so the offensive line was so slow. I was moving, unless I was just just that fast. But man, I was making plays like they I, they couldn't stop me. They throw a, a, a to the running back in the in the flat. Twice, and I know I wrapped them, but I tried to do a wide receiver string. And I remember on fourth down or something, third down, Grossman won a pass, and I sat Grossman on fourth and 13 or something. And uh, Matt Grill took two interceptions to the house. Man, that was that was, uh, that was was an awesome game. I think we ended up winning that game, what, 17 to what? 14. 17, 14. 14. Yeah. That's, and that was one of those games, it, re it reminded me of 14 Alabama when Ole Miss beat Alabama in 14, where Ole Miss was down at halftime, but it felt like you had those guys on the rope. Do you remember trailing at halftime and thinking, man, like, I know they're up, but, like, we're right there in this thing. Like, a player or two, you I guys know. could have been leading I, at halftime. Yeah, I know we can beat them. I know we, as long as we continue to play like we're playing, because they really weren't doing anything. You know, they had 14 points. You know, this Florida Gators, this is number, what, I think they were ranked number five. In the nation at the time? Yep. And, Rex Grossman, the quarterback. That's right. They were putting up points. And we had we helped them to 14 points. So we knew we can get this ball game. We just need our offense to put some points up. We're gonna win this ball game. And we did. And that year, I can say that game, defense won that ball game because Matt Gurr took back that interception. You know, did y'all have, so, have a safety mixed in there too? I thought I remember you guys had a safety that changed the course of that game too, as well. But I can't remember off the top of my head. But I do yeah, remember Matt the Greer. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, Matt Greer was the safety because that was a four-two. That was a four-two-five defense where you got four D linemen, two linebackers, and five safeties. Well, five DBs. So you yeah. got two corners and you got three safeties. And so, yep. as that rest of that year finishes out and your your career wraps up at Ole Miss, what was the transition like to pro football for you? Did you feel like you kind of got the adequate look in the draft process? What was kind of the transition to looking at playing pro football like for you? Well, with that injury, I knew it wasn't going everything wasn't going to work out the way I wanted to because um, I couldn't run, you know, because I had that the pain was in my back was so sore, I had to run a forty. My forty didn't look good. And I uh, ended up going to free agency to New York Giants when I got there. Now, when I got there, um, Dr. Um, Fields had gave me a couple of medicine to take with me because of the pain. And when I was taking that medicine, 
I was doing great. You know, I remember when uh, the head coach at that time, he came out and talked to me. He said, keep up the good work. You know, you, you really impressing a lot of people out here. Because I was, you know, I was myself because I got that, you know, they had put an article out in the paper saying I was taking one of the linebacker spots. That's how good I was playing. And I remember we shut down German Shockey in practice one time, you know. And uh, and this when that medicine wore off, man, it was that pain came back like I said, oh my goodness, I'm way in New York City. You know, I'm not even nowhere close to Mississippi. And um, it just it just I just I just wasn't the same. I just couldn't play. I just couldn't give it my all because that pain just would not let me do it. How difficult was that for you to reconcile? Because, you know, you have the ability and it's just an injury thing. And I feel like that was an era where it was still very much just like get you back on the field and they didn't know as much about what's actually needed to rehab injuries. When your football career kind of was cut shorter than you thought it might be, how tough was mm -hmm. that to deal with? And what was the trans transition out of football like? Oh, man, it was tough. It was tough. I'm not going to tell you. It was tough because that's the first time in my life somebody told me that I can't play football anymore. You know, by saying anybody releasing me, you're telling me I can't play football anymore. Now, this is a guy that I ain't never had a problem going and nobody selling me and, and making a name of myself. But what can I do? You know, I got an injury that I can't be fit. It can't be fixed. I got something that's holding me down. Now, here I am with nothing but all pros and, and, and pro athletes, and I'm trying to compete with professionals with an injury. It's, what, what can I do? I had to take it. I had to swallow it. I had to go back home and, and sit there and think for a while. And it took a long time man, for me to get myself together. It took a long time because I was blaming God. For, you know, I was doing all, all stuff that, you know, it just, it, one, it, it could, took me a couple of, I say it took me a couple of years, man, to finally, you know, to, to, to get over that and realize, hey, that's life. You know, time for you to, you know, grow up, let it go and, you know, and then and, 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 and do other things, other stuff to do, you know. Another Batesville kid that was in a little bit of a similar scenario is Tony Connor, right? He has the injury and doesn't ever come back as quite the same player. When you watched his career, obviously hometown kid, same place you're from. Did you relate to him at all on that level when he kind of did come back? Things weren't the same and, you know, the yeah, NFL passed yeah. similarly. I shook my head because I'm like, for a minute, I thought it's just a curse on us Batesville kids or something like that because Tony Connor would, or I definitely probably would have been the first safety to go in the draft if he had to stay healthy. Oh, 100, top 10, 15 pick easily, I think. He would have been top 10, 15 pick. And because of his injury, you know, he never get a chance, didn't get a chance to play football no more, you know. And so, yeah, I, uh, I understand exactly how he felt and what he was going through. And a lot of time, my fans would say, well, he wasn't good enough or, or he couldn't play or or my story was I couldn't read or whatever. They don't they don't understand what the injury, what they do to you. you know, what, what can you do? What can you do in a Tony Connor or Eddie Strong situation? What can you do when your body won't let you? You know, the pain that can't be fixed. And you, you're you on a professional level trying to compete with professionals. You can't. And they, it's, it's no way. In college, you got four years. You can get treatment and come on back and play. In NFL, you got <laughs> a couple of days to prove yourself. Right. How can you do that injury, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you're in camp trying to win a job. Like, if you get injured for that's a right. week, particularly as a low-priority guy that's not a high draft pick, they're not going to wait around on it. They're cutting They're you not going to wait around. And that just makes it almost impossible. You almost have to get lucky in that, like, entering the NFL that way, just have a clean bill of health. It's like, I cannot get injured in training camp. I got to get somehow, or if I have a lingering one, it cannot get worse. And that's that's what makes it tough. I'm curious, as you look back kind of on your Ole Miss career, who's the toughest quarterback you faced? Uh, top toughest quarterback. And SEC, I give I got to give to Chris Carter from Georgia. Okay, 
He could not beat Georgia for nothing. Because he like he was trash talker. Uh, and I gotta get to Matt Jones. Matt Jones was just he was just a he was a hell of an athlete over to Arkansas. And because you're talking about a quarterback that can put the ball down and run it, he was that guy. He was that guy. Everybody else was pretty much kind of uh similar, but to me, on a few guys that they separate themselves. That's Matt Jones with his speed. And uh Chris, Chris, Chris Carter. I think his name was Chris Carter for Georgia. I think I said it. I hope I ain't said his name wrong. But the quarterback was Georgia, and we played Georgia that year. We lost to them by six points. Um, he was a hell of a quarterback. The SEC guy, man, they always got you. When you talk, when you talk interplayer SEC, it's kind of hard because SEC have athletes, man. Yeah. You know, they, they have some athletes, and anybody can be good. Anybody can, you know. My tips one I, I had to say I had to get to, I had to get to Jones because it was no it was no it was no stopping him. You know you, you shut down his pass he uses legs shut down the legs he can throw the ball so he had he, that was the toughest. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine probably one of your answers I know it doesn't count because he was on your team but you came up with a guy named Eli Manning. When was the first time you realized he was different? Uh, when I say Eli, it was uh, I was hurt that year in two thousand when we played West Virginia. In that bowl game, uh, it was Rovero's last game. game. Yeah, remember the last game, Eli's first game, man. And I saw the way that he was slinging that ball. I knew then we got something. We got something. Had you seen and, it in uh, practice at all? Yeah, I've been mean, going against him a lot. You know, we, we um, you don't get to see much because I'm too busy doing my responsibilities. Yeah. But it's when you stand to the side and see him work. When you, when you, see, when you play against somebody, if we on the sideline, I'm seeing them work. You know, well, yeah, that's how you know you got a hell of a quarterback. Eli was smart. Eli was smart. Uh, get the ball off. He had a great offensive coordinator, uh, David Cutcliffe, working with him, and uh, uh, just like his brother, man, he was he was a, he was a great athlete, great quarterback. Just like his brother, just like his father. They I know you quarterbacks in their blood. I know you graduated in 02, but that 03 team goes on to win 10 games the next year. And the guys that did come back seemingly had a pretty good idea of just how good they could be. And it seemed like kind of the momentum they built in 2002. I know you were gone, but I'm curious, did you kind of have an idea of just how good that next year's team could be when you left in 02? Yeah, I knew those guys had some talent. They had some talent. They had a great offensive line. They had a good defensive guys coming up. They had a great quarterback. They had a great leader, uh, great running back. So, you get the right scheme in there, the right coaches with them guys. It, it, it didn't surprise me, no, because Ole Miss always have some great athletes, and we always be up there, you know, ten, nine games. But it just seemed like at the end of the year is what we begin to fall off a little bit. And I and I think it's time for us to, you know, let's go ahead and take this thing all the way. But we got the we got the people. Absolutely. How often do you make it back for games? How often do you uh, like? How close do you keep up with the program? Kind of what you got going on now, and how often do you make it back to Ole Miss? I keep up with games all the time. If, if I'm not there, I watch it on my phone. But if I go to the games, it's going to be big games. You know, like what yeah. I know. Okay, there's going to be a good matchup. Like if Alabama was coming here, I'm going to that. But this year, I'm going to the LSU. I'm going to the Arkansas because those big games to me. Like we're supposed to be uh, Mercer. Yeah, you know we're supposed to beat Georgia Tech. You know those teams that they also beat, we should beat them. But Alabama is going to be the real test to see what Ole Miss really have. That's why I always go to those games because those games before then, those just you know we we still practicing. But this game this weekend, that's going to let us know what we have 
for the rest of the year. If we beat Alabama, great. If we lose by Alabama, depending on how many points. If we lose probably by seven or, or, or six or, or three points, we still got a great football team. If we blow Alabama out, we got a hell of a football team. You know, and Alabama, they don't have the firepower no more. I don't I don't watch them too. They don't have the firepower they used to have like last year. You know, they but they still Alabama, you know, so we still gotta go in. You know, this is still Alabama, but we can beat them. We definitely can beat them. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're exactly right. You're gonna learn a lot about what kind of team Ole Miss has this weekend. The the, the rest of those are kind of in tune ups where you kind of get bits and pieces, but you're actually gonna learn it. Were those games boring for you as a player, like Arkansas State, where it's the bye game that you know you're gonna win? Was that hard to get up for? Were those kind of boring to you when you became no, a more established player? No, because I don't know about these players, but I know us back when we were playing, we look at that as a stat game. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it's a that. stat game. You know, you get your stats up, you know, you know. For a wide receiver to get a so many yards, running back, all type of yards, you can get you some sacks and some three or four sacks or 15, 16 tackles. That's a more of a stat game because, you know, you play no big games, you know, it, it ain't going to be so easy. You know, so those games are stat games. When you look back on your career at Ole Miss, I imagine when you come back, it probably brings back from nostalgia, even regardless of kind of how it turned out in professional football toward the end because your body broke down on you just a little bit. But you still had one hell of a career at Ole Miss. You're one of the more memorable athletes. Definitely for people my age, and I know in kind of the next 10, 15 years up as well, how special is it for you to come back and come back to games and kind of in some ways relive some memories? I, I feel good every time I go over there on campus. And, uh, and when I walk through the Grove, you know, I just look because I, you know, those memories of walking through uh, uh, Walker Champions and walking through the Grove and, and even just going to the game, the atmosphere, just sitting in the, in the stand, just just feeling it, you know, feeling that place rocking up in there. That's that's all love, man. And uh, and even if I go places, it's crazy how some people still remember me. Man, Eddie Strong, Eddie Strong. Number one, they played with that old Miss. Hey, man, that's been about 20-something years ago. You still remember that? <laughs> yeah, man, I can't forget. It. Yeah, number one, man, you play linebacker. I said, yeah, that was me. And uh, I'm not mistaken. Was I was the first number one player, like number well, jersey number one on defense? I don't know about offense, but I, but defense, I think I was the first player for jersey number one. I think you were definitely the first one that was a first string All American. I don't know if uh, I don't know if you're the first one. You may have been because that, that wasn't really a common number back then, but it's certainly iconic. I certainly remember it. It's ingrained in a lot of people's heads. There's no way they're ever going to forget. I think you could walk through the Grove forever. For people would remember that name. Yeah, they'll remember. They some of them, they still remember the name, but they had to get uh, they had to put a face with the name. But the name definitely rings the bell in Knoxville. So and, and that and I can go all through Mississippi, man. And uh, Eddie Strong. Oh yeah, you played Ole Miss. So they. My name is always connected to Ole Miss and Oxford, you know, so I'm, I'm proud of that. I mean, I did something, you know, even though I was hurt, I I did something on the field. I had, I had, a, uh, I left something on the field for them to remember. Absolutely. You know? he, he is Eddie Strong. I really appreciate the time, man. This was a lot of fun looking back on your career. One of my favorite athletes growing up of all time. I really appreciate Thank you. the time. Thank you. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you, man. Thank you for inviting me, man. I appreciate it. And I look forward to another one. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Really appreciate both Gary and Eddie's time. A couple Ole Miss linebacker greats. Hope you enjoyed that. Get you fired up for the Arkansas game. And thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, it's been a joy to do these, talking to these former players. Thank you to Denson Hollis and Javon Patterson and all the great work they're doing with the Letterman's Lounge. Without them, these interviews would not be possible. And uh, I really enjoyed this partnership. So thank you to them. And I really appreciate you listening. And we'll talk to you with Weldon on Sunday.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.